Good morning to you. It's good to be with you uh, again this morning, and I'm grateful to Eric for the opportunity to preach in his absence. I trust he's having uh, a good and restful time of renewal and vacation with his family. I know it's much deserved and it's uh, probably much needed. Uh, these last 15, 16 months have been the uh, most challenging time in the life of churches. I've said to a few people, it's been a good time to be a retired pastor. Uh, one of the benefits of retirement is that I haven't had to deal with all the dynamics of the pandemic. I'm uh, in much admiration of all the pastors who've negotiated and navigated all the difficulties and challenges of this time. I'm grateful to Eric and to, to all of them. And may God continue to give us uh, his spirit of direction, a spirit of wisdom, a spirit that makes us one in Jesus Christ. This morning we're going to share communion together. But let's focus on God's word for a few moments as we lead into this time of sharing this communion. Since we live in the state of Virginia, we're always in some political season. The election cycles never end. It's state elections in odd number years, and it's federal elections in even numbered years. And that means we're constantly bombarded by election campaigning. One day I was outside for a while, and when I came back inside the house, I noticed that we had a telephone voicemail. I checked the message, and I discovered that a political organization had called while I was out. Apparently, they interviewed my answering machine. The automated voice asked a few questions, and then the voice thanked me for participating in their survey. All that the organization got, of course, from my answering machine was silence. And I don't know whether they counted the silence as support for their candidate or for the opposing candidate, or whether they just counted my answering machine as undecided at the moment. But I have a feeling there'll be many more of these robocalls in the next weeks and months, and a lot more of the rituals of the political campaigns, like flyers in the mail and media ads, and maybe even a knock at the door. One thing that opposition researchers and sometimes even reporters like to do is to scout out a candidate's campaign appearances and scour a campaign record and see whether there is consistency in that candidate's positions. Has the candidate changed his position about any of the issues. And I'm sure we can understand the underlying concern in all of this. We don't want our political leaders flip-flopping on the issues. We don't want them saying one thing to one crowd and something else to another crowd. We don't want them shifting their positions just to win votes. We don't want them deciding what they think based on what the latest polls say. 
And this is right and this is good. But somewhere along the way in our society, we may have gotten the notion that changing our minds is always a bad thing. But it's not. In fact, being a follower of Jesus Christ revolves around changing our minds. And here's what I mean. The word repent is a familiar word for us in our evangelical tradition because repentance is an important concept in that process of Christian conversion. We sometimes talk about the ABCs of becoming a Christian. Our kids learn them and know them from vacation Bible school and other Bible classes, and we adults need to make sure we know them too. There is the A. We admit that we are sinners and we repent of our sins. There's the B. We believe that God has loved us so much that he gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And then there's the C. We confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Savior of our lives. And we commit our lives to him in faith and in trust. Repentance is essential in this experience of receiving the gift of salvation and new life and becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And it's important for us to recognize that repentance is not just being sorry for our sins. Repentance is not just feeling bad about what we've done with our lives and knowing that we need forgiveness. As somebody has said, repentance is being sorry enough to quit whatever it is that we're sorry for. The word repentance literally means to change the mind. It's to turn your mind around. And the mind signifies more than just our thinker. In this context, the mind signifies our will and our attitudes and our conduct. Mind is everything about us. Our minds involves our whole total lives. There's the picture of motion in this word, repentance. We're going in one direction, and then we change our minds. We turn our minds around, we turn our lives around, and we go in another direction. We have been going in the direction of a life of self-centeredness, a life where we're living our own way by our own plans, a life that's really headed toward self-destruction. But then we repent. We change our minds. We turn our minds around. We make a U-turn and we start going in a different direction than the direction in which we were going. We turn back toward God. We return to God. And now we follow God's way, which is the best way of life for us. We center our lives on God and not on us. Repentance is rethinking the way that we think.
Repentance is retraining our minds to see things in a radically different way. Repentance is the changing of our hearts that reshapes everything about our lives. It's the realignment of our minds so that we reflect the values and the purposes of God. Repentance is the total reorientation of our whole lives. Now this repentance, this changing of our minds, is something that happens when we first begin to follow Jesus Christ. Repentance is a part of those ABCs of becoming a Christian as our lives are genuinely turned around and we put our faith in Jesus. But we also need to see that repentance is something more than just what happens in our initial conversion experience. Repentance really needs to continue for a lifetime of following Jesus Christ. Repentance isn't something that we do just one time, and we do it once and for all. In his letter to the Romans, Paul gives us a picture of the Christian life. It's a picture of a life of faithfulness to God and his ways. It's a picture of sacrificial commitment and devotion to Jesus Christ. Here's what Paul says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul doesn't use the word repentance in these verses, but the concept is certainly here. Paul talks about the necessity for our minds to be constantly changed, completely changed. Paul tells us that being a Christian involves our minds constantly being renewed. It's the ongoing transformation of our lives. The theologians have a classic word for all of this, the big word sanctification. The Christian life is a journey in being sanctified. The Christian life is a journey in becoming holy. And this means living a life that's set apart. It's living a life that embodies God's ways and not the world's ways. Being a Christian is living a life where our minds are constantly being renewed and changed. It's living a life where we're being transformed to become more and more like Jesus Christ. But the truth is, if we let ourselves get into a mode of tough-minded honesty, at least for a moment, that I think we'd all have to admit that we've got a whole lot more transformation to go in our lives. There's a whole lot more becoming like Jesus Christ that needs to take place in our lives. Maybe some of us need to spend more time getting our minds around the basic knowledge of the Christian faith. 
Every time uh, some Christian organization does a survey among people in churches about this sort of thing, they find that there is a lot of biblical illiteracy and people can have a hard time explaining what it is they say that they believe. Maybe some of us need to put the mental part of our minds to work and change some things and grow in our knowledge of biblical truth. But there's a whole lot more involved in the renewing of our minds than just knowing some facts. Some of us may get the Christian doctrines right, and we may feel pretty good and self-satisfied because we do. But still, we may have a long way to go in living right the Christian life. We may still think a whole lot like the way that the world thinks. And in the words of Paul, our lives are conformed to this world, to the patterns of life in the world in which we live. But we're called to the renewal of our minds, to break free from this conformity to the patterns of the world. The truth is, just like any person around us who may live by the world's values, we can measure our lives by how much authority we have, and how many people work under us, and how close we are to the center of power, and how important we think we are, and how much money we make, and how much we can buy, and how many things we own. We can be seeking after the very same things that people in the world are seeking after. And we can spend a lot of time trying to figure out how we get there, how we attain those goals that everybody else in the world is, is seeking. But the reality is, we can't live like Jesus Christ at the same time that we're thinking the way the rest of the world does think. So maybe our minds need changing. Maybe we need to set our thinking straight. Maybe we need the radical transformation that comes with a new way of thinking. Jesus Christ way of thinking. And then there are those thoughts that we usually connect with our hearts. These are the attitudes that shape the way we live, that shape the way that we relate to other people. And maybe some changing of what's going on in our hearts needs to take place. Maybe we're holding on to a negative spirit or a critical spirit or a judgmental spirit or a prejudiced spirit or an arrogant spirit or a jealous spirit or an unforgiving spirit or something else that doesn't have anything to do with the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Something in the attitudes of our hearts needs to be changed and renewed. A few times in my ministry, I was the person who had to notify someone about the death of one of their family members. 
And my recollections of those occasions are mostly about the emotional responses of those people in those moments. But in one case, I can vividly remember the exact words that were spoken by a family member. I was a pastor of a church in another state, and there was a married couple in this church by the name of Selma and Elmer. Those were their exact names. Selma was known for her biting and caustic tongue and her critical eye about things. Elmer was a gentle soul who must have had the perseverance of Job. Elmer was retired, but every few weeks, Elmer and his brother and a few other senior guys in town would go to the major city in our state, which was about 150 miles away, on a job for an automobile dealer in our town. They would pick up some cars that were a part of a dealer exchange, and then they would drive these cars back to the town where we lived. One Wednesday night, just as our Wednesday evening activities at church were ending, we got a call in the church office from Elmer's brother. Elmer had been killed in an automobile accident in that major city. One of the other staff ministers and I went to Selma's house to tell her about what had happened. After a greeting at the door, we sat down and I shared with Selma the tragic news that Elmer had been killed in an accident. She wanted to know where. And I told her it happened at an intersection in that city as Elmer was headed home with the car that he had picked up. Selma was silent for a second, and then this frown came over her face. And she said, well, Elmer never could drive. You know, people would just try to deal with Selma the way that she was. And they would say, well, that's just Selma being Selma. But I'm not wanting to focus our attention on Selma. I'm wanting to turn the mirror on ourselves. A lot of us may have those places in our lives that could lead someone to say it's just us being us. And maybe we ourselves would even say that at times. It's just me being me. We can tend to look at things in this way as a means of justifying ourselves. As a means of allowing something within our hearts as a means of explaining it all away. So here's the question for us. What is it about our lives that may cause someone to say, well, that's just him being him. That's just her being her. Maybe it's our impatience with people. Maybe it's our temper. Maybe it's our lack of mercy. Maybe it's our fault-finding and our complaining. Maybe it's our bitter resentment about something. Maybe it's our need to always be in control and in charge. Maybe it's our knack for discouragement. 
You know, there are some people who have the gift to encourage other people, but maybe we just always bring discouragement. Whatever it is, wherever we end up saying it's just us being us, we need to be changing our mind. We need to be experiencing real transformation in our lives. And the reason is, the Christian life is not about us being us. The Christian life is about us becoming like Jesus Christ. In the second chapter of Philippians, Paul tells us, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Or in another translation, your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Following Jesus Christ means becoming like Jesus Christ in the way that we think, and in the way we see things, and in what we say, and in the way we act, and in the way we relate to other people, in the way we live our total lives. And as long as we're not yet like Jesus Christ, and none of us is, we've got some changing of our minds to do. We've got some renewing of our minds to experience. We've got some transformation of our life to take place. And that includes all of us. But there's something essential that we've got to know. We can't just go out and do this on our own. We can't just do this by ourselves no matter how much willpower we may have. This kind of mind-changing transformation happens only by God's power. This kind of transformation is always a gift of God's grace. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he said, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Notice that the first word that Jesus spoke is not the word about repentance. The word about repentance is the second word that Jesus spoke. The first word that Jesus spoke is the announcement of that good news that the kingdom of God is here. The first word is the proclamation that the presence and the power of God have drawn near to us in Jesus Christ. That's the first word. And only then came the second word. Only then came the word about repentance. Only then came the call to repent and to believe the good news. And this order of things cannot be reversed. We can repent. We can turn toward God only because God has turned toward us. We can approach God only because God has approached us. We can come to God only because God has come to us. We love because God loved us first. That order of things can never be reversed. And this is what 
the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, communion reminds us about today. God has come to us. God has reached out to us and come to us in Jesus Christ to show us just how much he loves us and to invite us into a new personal relationship with him. In the cross of Jesus Christ, God broke the grip of sin and brought us the gift of forgiveness. In the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God broke the grip of death and brought us the gift of eternal life. Life that is a new way of living right now and life that stretches into eternity forever. And it's all a matter of God's grace. And what we need to do is to accept God's grace. We need to accept God's gift of grace for that very first day of our lives when we're first converted. We need to accept God's gift of grace for every single day of our Christian lives. We need to constantly open up our lives to that power of God's grace to transform us. We need to change our minds by letting God change our minds. We need to change our lives by letting God change our lives. And that's what a life of repentance is all about. It's living a life where every day we change our minds as we become more and more like Jesus Christ. And here's something we can definitely make up our minds about. This transformation of our lives is exactly what God has come to do for us in Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for your grace. Your grace that saves us, your grace that remakes us, your grace that transforms us to be like you. Help us, Father, to open up our lives to your grace, that we might change our minds and our lives might look like you. For we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.